This is, welcome to the an episode of Exit Pursued by Bards, the Shakespeare, Canterbury Shakespeare Festival's uh, literary podcast. I'm joined today by Mel Glazer, who is the director of A Midsummer Night's Dream for the 2022 festival. Hello, Mel. Hello. My, my name, as you have heard, is Mel Glazer, and I live in Canterbury. Wonderful. So tell us a little bit about yourself. What, what did you do? What do you do outside of the festival? Well, I have uh, two interests apart from business from which I'm retired. I, I, uh, I write plays. I'm a playwright and uh, I also have academic pursuits. I like and have been trained in philosophy and it, it combines with my playwriting with which I enjoy. Um, as, a, as a director of uh, one of the directors of Canterbury Shakespeare Festival, it's my job to look through the play and with my background to make it make the play as lively, uh, as interesting and as understandable as possible to both the actors and, and the audience. Fabulous. Uh, so, uh, when did you join the festival, roughly? Well, I, I joined at the, the back end of 2019 when I was looking for an outlet for, to, to do the, the plays that I had been writing or amending, taking old uh, classic work and uh, seeing if I can make it uh, more transparent. That's right. If I remember, you uh, pitched for that uh, for last year's season with it was the Alchemist, wasn't it, Ben Johnson? Yes, he was. Yes, yes. Uh, which is my I... sense of humour. Yeah. <laughs> what is it that attracts you to Ben Johnson? To Ben Johnson, I I think he has a t terrific construct of the play, and there's this Eddie Izzard absurdity of it. It it gets more and more absurd. Um, and as I, I've never, I don't think I've ever really covered from pu recovered from puberty. I, I find it very, very funny. Um, I can't help it. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, no need to apologise. I don't think many of us have. Uh, certainly not at the moment. So, if I remember rightly, we sort of put a pin in the Alchemist, and we asked you to do Dream for last year's, uh, unfortunately, yeah. postponed festival. That will also not be happening this year, but we will be doing it next year. Yes. Um, what is it about the dream that, uh, or Midsummer Night's Dream, that uh, engages you so much? Well, I, I went to college very late in life. I sort of had to educate myself when I was in my 30s. And it, I had no interest in Shakespeare before I went, or, or much of literature. But doing a course, uh, one of the courses, it gave me an insight as a way in to understanding something. And I was very keen to read uh, Shakespeare and see if I could actually get something from it. And um, I, it was important for me to be able to engage uh, and and uh, I, I did his use of language I found itself was a sort of art form and his plays reminded me that it, it's not 
that language is not simply a tool for getting a job done, but has complexities and subtleties with which you can paint the world mm. and present the world and give us an incisive or insightful and often decorative view of what for us is, is often the mundane every day that we have to deal with. Oh, interesting. And, that, and yeah, that, that's a, I think that's a really good point about Shakespeare's kind of use of language. Every sentence, more or less, is, is in itself a work of art, or at least part of a greater whole. And I, yeah, I think that's a really interesting point. So which is your favourite uh, Shakespeare play? Well, I do like the, um, uh, they all have varying qualities, different qualities, but I like the absurdity again of Midsummer Night's Dream and a, a touch of the, the underlying optimism that, that in spite of adversity all will come out right in the end and the also the irrationality of the world that we have to live with um, and that that's just the way things are. Um, you, you can't reduce everything to, to cold reason and this, this does come out in, in, in the dream. Uh, so oh. what's your, well no, go ahead. Yeah, I, I suppose um, this is reflected when, when Shakespeare says in Hamlet, um, and, and this talks to me being a sort of post-mortem post philosopher, Hamlet says, there's more things in heaven and earth, Horatio, than are dreamt of in your philosophy. So it, for me, it's Shakespeare's recognition that there isn't a simple objective reality, and that there are different people, different cultures, different races, different animals, and they'll all experience the world in a different way. Uh, it's the same between me and my wife. They, we will look at things differently and sometimes not understand. It's a profound reminder for us not to be deceived by a strong ideology or a strong politics or even by a science that claims it knows all the answers. Uh, one has to think, and I think Shakespeare points out, that there's no universally readable and ultimately comprehensible world. That's quite uh, kind of freeing, but also kind of terrifying at the same time, isn't it? A little. Bit? It's a very good. It's a good comment. It is. I, I found it very discomforting at first. Um, I, I think in a. a um, I think you have to try and look into yourself and impose your own. Is a see or find an inner morality, and an inner structure on the world um <clears throat> that it's no good looking around to to find one that's going given to you that's going to give you all the answers you must be accountable to yourself in in this moral sense which is very very difficult and also in in the under the way of understanding there are so many ways of understanding the world which again Shakespeare points out, and Shakespeare does within his work, um, that show you it, it's a bit up to you, really, the way you see things, what you do, 
and the way you account for yourself in your life. Sorry, that's me. <laughs> no, no, that's good. It's got quite quite deeply philosophical for well, for for Midsummer Night's Dream. It's not normally a, a kind of a lens people bring to that play. It's normally knock about fun. Uh, which I think is something that you yeah. want to kind of bring out when you do it. Um, yeah. What are some of the the elements of of Midsummer that you want to kind of explore when when you finally get that chance next year? Yes, I I, I do want. I mean, there, there's talking about meaning, which we were, and about the way things are in the world. It's difficult to see the jokes as Shakespeare wrote them. It's difficult. He wrote them in a certain context, a certain period, a certain culture, a certain time. And I've no doubt they were hilarious at the time. But once we um, put them in today, often they go above our head. They, we don't understand them. So the challenge was with, with the dream, and the interesting challenge is to try and put back those jokes without destroying Shakespeare, to make it, um, on the one hand, as funny as you think he, he intended. And on the other hand, the, the insights, the absurdities, whereas the two girls have this debate, and one says, look, I'm, I'm as attractive as you, I have the same qualities, yet he loves me. So here, the irrationality of love, if you like, or the and thereby the irrationality of a lot of our likes and dislikes and our orientations. We go this way instead of going that way. And there's not, there's not a reason. It's not answerable to reason. We just do. Um, and that's interesting, Al along with the crazy humour um, of it all. And it stands and it falls on the basis that if people come to it who know nothing about Shakespeare, who've not been there before, and they can say, well, that's interesting, I, I can relate to it in this way or that way, then I'll have succeeded. If, they, if you can get a hook in on one way that they like Shakespeare, then as I did, that gets developed and you can see more and more and more the, um, the more you the more you look at it how do you deal with so uh, i've directed the dream before and i've i've been in productions and i've seen it quite a lot uh for me midsummer is always kind of a play of three thirds because you've got the four lovers who are kind of separate but connected to the fairies who are almost completely separate from the mechanicals until the very end, and all three of the, all three of them kind of have different tones throughout the play until they kind of all meet at the end. But there's there's something kind of different about each of those kind of storylines. The, the the mechanicals are very broad brush, loose humour. The the um, fairies are, are, are a little bit more serious a little bit more otherworldly and then you've got the lovers who kind of veer between the two depending on whether they've been enchanted how do you kind of reconcile that i suppose as a director the that they i i think they each 
re reflect the individual's human state, their own, our own personality. We have these, we have the, the, the idiocy or the simplicity of the mechanicals within us. Um, um, and we sometimes and often look at the world in that silly way. Um, we have the, well, I would say that there's, in, in the way, the strong passions of fairies and the, the, the Machiavellian nature, and we juggle that. And we also, within the lovers, we have this spontaneous passion, this irrationality. Um, and within ourselves and within our lives, we juggle it. And I think that we have the mixture somewhat distilled in, uh, in the dream, whereas one lot is put into the fairies mostly, another lot into the mechanicals, poor old mechanicals. And I feel sorry for them. <laughs> Bless them. Um, and, and the lovers, and that, and the lovers' state, uh, whether many of us can remember, is, is a very tough time indeed, and uh, uh, emotionally very perturbing. And this is brought out, and, and we can put the whole together and make it a play, as we can put the whole together and make it Mel Blazer or Elliot or or next door neighbor, really. <laughs> Wonderful. Um, Earlier, you, you mentioned the Hamlet quote, uh, there is more in heaven and earth, etc., etc. Is that your favorite Shakespeare quote? Do you have a favorite Shakespeare quote? Um, that, that, that is my favorite, I must, I must admit. Um, uh, it, 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 it speaks to me in a certain way that one can take the quote to saying, oh, didn't you know that fairies exist or spirits exist or ghosts exist? Or you can take it in a deeper way. And as you picked up and in the impossibility of knowing what um, other people, the way they look at things at a depth, we do as a generalization, we can mix, we can talk to the neighbors. For example, we say, isn't the weather good today? Yes, that's fine but there's a certain level we start getting to where the individual is isolated in a way due to their own um, idiosyncratic background. And, and uh, that's why I, I very much like that quote. Oh, very nice. And it, it, Hamlet anyway is a, is a fantastic play. It's one of my favorites. And it's Hamlet, filled yeah. with that, the whole of Hamlet kind of, revolves around the tragically comic and the comically tragic um mm. question I'm, i think i might ask this to everybody uh if you had you know unlimited funds to and uh, and whoever you wanted to direct and cast and start with if you could play one part in in shakespeare regardless of you know the body you're trapped in now who would it be Putting well, that's a that's a question to throw at me there. I I uh, I think 
I would pick Macbeth um, because it is tempting to, uh, and I have experienced this, to get led by one's own ambition. And you can just take that little, you can take that step increment by increment and you suddenly find you've gone too far mm. and you regret what you've done or you regret. And I think Macbeth does that. He slowly leads and gets led but that's all, um, into this position where it's too late. The, the damage that's done is, is great. And uh, I, I like that idea. Um, it's a war. It's a warning on. As you get older, you've got this warning sign saying, "Careful, you're, you're, you've gone too far." <laughs> it's definitely one of those human. Uh, one of the things that every human ends up doing is going slightly too far, getting caught up in their own enthusiasm. And one of the yeah. things I was talking about this to Charlotte the other day. He was saying one of the best things about Macbeth is Macbeth can be played, kind of at any age. Like a young man can be very ambitious, mm. you know, mm. very driven, but then an older man can play, or, or a woman can play it as, I have been passed over, I have been, you know, mm. I should be better than I am. And so it's a really, it's one of those really interesting roles where it can kind of be gauged at, at any point in a, in a life, in a lifetime. And I think that's quite one of the best, uh, parts for that like you know hamlet you kind of have to be fairly young because he refers to himself yeah. and benedict and beatrice in much ado they don't really work over a certain age if you ask me there's yeah. you know there's a lot of parts but macbeth i think can be can be kind of you can put them anywhere in a, in a person's timeline and it kind of it kind i think of that's a very good point I, I think we have a case here with with taking an older person like trump comes in and the power seems to, uh, it appears to me, sort of get out of his control. He moves mm. more and more and more to trying to grasp power until he becomes a quasi-dictator in a way. He starts looking up to Putin. And you can also, you've got the Tony Blair phenomenon, who was younger age, um, who ends up seeing that within himself he should be going to war. Mm. Um, there wasn't perhaps arguably enough consideration there, maybe. But as I think it's a very good point that you made. It, it, it can act, it, at any age we can lose ourselves. Uh, it's a good point about Trump, I hadn't thought of that. I remember reading about a production of Julius Caesar where they cast Caesar is very much a Trump figure, but doing Macbeth with a kind of Trump-like figure would also work quite quite nicely, because you've mm. got that the 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 Banquo figure is quite um oh uh, is it Banyan the guy who used to wear three shirts at once, who was you know at the beginning of the of the whole thing he was quite in with Trump, but then he got cast yeah. out, thrown out, yes. like, much like Banquo. Although I don't think Trump has any of the self, what's the word, introspection that Macbeth has near the end. I don't think Bank, uh, Trump would be haunted by the ghost of Steve Bannion at the at the dinner table quite as uh, 
I, I think we've yet to see with Trump. I, yeah. I think yeah. once the once it's realised he's he's out, and he's not, and if it's realised he's not likely to do another term, then he has to reinsert himself as a as a character back into society, and it's possible then we'll get a relook mm. and we'll get a bit of. Um, um, Macbethian regret. That's yeah, that, that hadn't occurred to me. Well, that'll be uh, something to look forward to in the coming <laughs> years. Um, all right, I'm going to ask you one last question now, um, and this is the painting behind you. Tell me about it because it's great. I love the setting. Oh, do you? I? I really like well, it, it. it. It's a bit of um, Victorian melodrama, and. Um, it's, it's by Alexander Rossi. Now his most famous painting is Forbidden Books, which is huge like that one, mm. and is massive. And uh, it sold for a, a fortune six figure sum many years ago, so it would be very valuable. Well, this came up for sale and um, it, they, they weren't quite sure of the title. They called it a fall in the stock market, fall in the market. And as a result, the buyers all thought it was a bit depressive. And we do have the, the stressed female in the middle there. And it, it went up for sale. And staggeringly enough, I managed to get it for £2,000, which... Steel. I, I, uh, it, it was. It, and I've always wanted something. It is, I really, one of the main things is I love the dress. I love the way he's done the fabric. So I bought it. Um, um, we still don't know what, what Rossi's title was, and I can't. And Rossi did exhibit many 80-odd paintings in the um, works, but I can't find this one. And I've looked, and I can't find the, the details, although this is his largest book. But I stick it on the wall. <laughs> Perfect for the background of Zoom meetings. I'm sure you've had yeah, a lot of use in the last year. No, it's great. I love it. Um, do you have any closing remarks? Anything you want to say? No, I'm, I'm, except well, I, I'm I'm glad the uh, CSF exists, the Canterbury Shakespeare Festival. It, it's a tremendous opportunity for a nobody like myself to be able to work with Shakespeare and say, well, and a group of people and say, well, let's see what we can do. Let's see if we can make it really interesting. Let's see if the local people join in. Um, it's a tremendous opportunity and I'm really grateful for it. No, no, we're happy to, we're pleased and happy to have you. It's so nice to be able to include uh, all sorts of people from all walks of life sort of from Canterbury and kind of East Kent. Um, I remember when the festival first started it was strictly students and student lights it, it was very you know our average age was very within sort of 18 to 23 there was not right. much variation and now we have people you know who are 18 and we have people who are you know, an age I'm not allowed to legally say. Nearly 80. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 80, 18 to 88 or whatever they, whatever it is they put on puzzles yeah. these days. Uh, well, thank you, Mel. That was really no, helpful. 
uh, and we hope that uh, the people watching, if there is anyone watching, uh, enjoyed uh, our discussion. Uh, and goodbye. Okay, goodbye. Thanks very much. Exit Pursued by a Bard is a Canterbury Shakespeare Festival podcast. You can find out more about the festival at www.canterburyshakespeare.co.uk. Stay up to date with what we're doing by liking us on Facebook or following us on Instagram at Canterbury Shakespeare. If you like what you see and want to support us in bringing great outdoor theatre to Kent, you can donate to the festival through our GoFundMe page. More information can be found on our website. Thou tottering, tickle-brained vassal!